Hello, and welcome to the Dismantle Racism Show. I am your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. I want to start by thanking my guest interviewer last week, Dr. Roselle Jenkins. I had a family emergency and needed to be out, and I'm so grateful for being able to call on her at relatively the last minute to ask if she could please, please, please I interview my guest, Fabian Nelson. I hope that you all enjoyed the show. And if you haven't seen it yet, please make sure that you go back and you catch the show. Just as I asked you to do for any of the shows that you've missed, you can catch us on Talk Radio NYC. You can go to my website, sacredintelligence.com. You can also find us on iTunes, Google Play, um, Amazon Music, anywhere you stream your podcast, you can find us. I would encourage you to subscribe to our show. Please tell others about the show because we have lots of information that uh, we have on the show that's important if you want to engage in the work of dismantling racism. My guests share information that is educational, information that will help us to eradicate and dismantle racism because, of course, that is the goal of our show is to really put you in a place where you will be successful with engaging in this work of dismantling racism. I also want to encourage you, if you've not picked up a copy of Dismantling Racism, Healing Separation from the Inside Out, please take the opportunity to do so because there's lots of information in there as well that will help you on your journey of dismantling racism. In fact, I refer to it as the sacred intelligence journey of dismantling racism, sacred intelligence journey of faith, excuse me, of dismantling racism, because it is impossible for for us to do this work if we don't think that we can overcome racism, if we don't have the faith that we can dismantle racism. And remember the work that we do now will encourage the generations after us. So even if we don't experience a certain thing in this lifetime, we're setting up the next generation. So it is important for us to have faith in ourselves, to have faith in the people who are walking this journey with us, and for me to have faith in something much, much bigger than ourselves. And that's my, for me, it's my sacred source. And so I believe that it is possible for us to dismantle racism. We are going to do what we always do, and that is we are going to start with a meditation. And the reason why I start with meditations is because we need to be centered and grounded for this conversation on race. If we are not centered and grounded, sometimes our emotions get the best of us and we're not able to move the conversation along, nor are we able to engage in the work that we need to engage in. So, I want you, if you will, and if you are able to, to close your eyes and just begin to breathe in and out. And I'm just going to give you a few minutes silently to breathe in and out. Now, as you're breathing in and out, 
I want to invite you to connect with your breath in a way that allows you to connect with your divine wisdom, your divine power, your sacred intelligence, which is that part of you that helps you to manifest your greatness while helping others to do the same. Breathe in and out, connecting with your ancestors, connecting with your family, your friends, your supporters. Breathe in and out, connecting with everyone who has the vision of dismantling racism. Connect with those people, the people that you know, the strangers, the folks that you follow. Recognizing that we are strengthened when we walk in unity. Breathe in and out. And just for a second, remember those who came before you, who made a difference in this road to dismantling racism. Remembering how far we have come and thinking about how far we have to go. And as you remember and think about those two things, place yourself in the middle of this journey Connecting with your gifts, your wisdom, your power, your strength, your commitments, your courage. Connect deeply with who you are and recognize that you have something to contribute to this journey. And what you do matters. So breathe in and out, understanding that you can change the status quo. Breathe in and out, acknowledging that the power of one contributes to the power of community. Now I invite you to embrace yourself with love, whether that be physically or mentally, giving yourself a big hug, allowing the light to permeate in you and through you and around you. And express gratitude for yourself and wherever you are on this journey. Be grateful and be grateful for what you will experience with my guest today. Just breathe in and out and give gratitude. And we say, and so it is, Ashe and Amen. Ah. <sighs> I want to invite you to open your eyes 
And I want to invite you, uh, because I forgot to say it at the top of the hour, the meditations to, that accompany my book are on iTunes and all the places where you get your music. So grab, go grab the meditation. If you're already streaming on a platform, grab the meditations. You can use them to help you to center yourself before a conversation. You can just help them, use them to help you just to ground yourself and center yourself, period. Because we need to connect with who we are moment by moment. And the way to do that is to connect with our breath, to connect with our sacred source, and to remember our gifts and to remember those people who've come before us. So today on the show, we are going to be talking about the contributions of West African dance. And you might say to yourself, well, what does West African dance have to do with dismantling racism? Stick around and you'll find out what it has to do with dismantling racism. But I think about, for me, when I grew up as a child and the images that I had of Africa, they were always steeped in the stereotypes of uh, Tarzan, for instance, the Africans who supported him and who helped him in the jungle. They all ran around without clothes on, basically, couldn't really speak uh, the they didn't speak the English language, let's just put it like that. And they were always presented in a way that did not elevate people who were from the African content. Tarzan was the great white hope who came in to save the day. And the other images we have are images where we see um, people or children in particular who are starving or hungry. Uh, we rarely, rarely, rarely in my day would see images that talked about the contributions of Africa. Even today, um, we see images that are better than we did when, back when I was younger, but there's still many stereotypes. And in particular, when we think about dance, now I am so delighted because on um, social media, we can see people trying to engage in uh, dances that are, well, shall I say, shall I put it this way? We've seen some dances, some African dances that we've tried to emulate and they have been wonderful. They've been popular and, and we've seen them across the world. People try to emulate it. I love that. But African dance is actually something that is much more intricate that we need to understand um, the language of the African dance, the spirituality of the African dance and what it really means. Is it for everybody? How do people in America see African dance? How do black people see it? How do white people see it? So today I'm really excited that we're going to be discussing it. What does it have to do with dismantling racism? So my guest today is Truth Hunter. And I'll tell you a little bit about Truth. Truth was born in Oakland, California. She studied West African dance under the tutelage of Marilyn and Siku. I think I'm saying it right. She'll correct me if not when we when she comes on. Um, Sila. Uh, and she attended school as well at Mount Holyoke um, College. And Truth created a multimedia African dance concert to fundraise for asylum seekers impacted by genocide in Darfur. That is significant. 
that she did this in 2007, because at a time when the world wasn't necessarily paying attention about what was going on, truth did something about it. And so it was through this experience that she realized the performing arts can be used as a tool for activism and a powerful way to bring healing to the world. I can't wait to talk with Truth a little bit more about that. Um, in 2017, Truth became the director of race and ethnic programs, uh, ethnicity programs at Connecticut College, which is actually where I met her. And she collaborated in the dance department to design an interdisciplinary course that used West African dance to tell stories of resistance of African um, diaspora people during the transatlantic trade. Uh, I could say more and more and more about Truth Hunter. What I can say is, is that she's a, a friend and a colleague, and she is someone who inspires me when I see her beautiful and eloquent way in which she engages with the West African dance. And I've had the privilege of having her at one of my workshops, teaching us a little bit about uh, how we can move our bodies and express who we are in a very spiritual way, in a way that is also freeing. It was a very diverse group and people still talk about uh, that particular workshop to this day when they see me. So I want to welcome after the break, Truth Hunter, my guest today, as we talk about West African dance. This is the Dismantle Racism Show. We'll be right back. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy. And I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. What really drives success in business? Introducing Intangify, the show that explores the intangible assets that create value and growth. I'm Matthew Asbell, your host and an attorney focused on innovation. Join me Fridays at noon Eastern to discover how innovation, culture, and other intangibles shape driving companies from startups to established businesses. We'll share strategies to unleash your business's true potential. Tune in live on talkradio.nyc Fridays at noon Eastern and Intangify your business today. Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower.
We are back with the Dismantle Racism Show. I want to welcome my guest, Truth Hunter. Welcome, Truth, to the show today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm so excited about our conversation today. I am as well. And I just want to make sure, is it Seiku? Seiko Sila? Seiku. Seiku Sila. Seiku Yes. I always want to make sure I'm pronouncing people's names right. So Truth, there are just so many questions uh, that that I want to start with. And, you know, when we were doing our pre-conversation for the show, there were some questions I wanted to start with. But I I want to just, um, if I could, because I'm really fascinated by your love for West African dance. Yes. People take West African dance when they're little. Yes. And... I, but the, but it doesn't always last. So what for you, what spoke to you to say, I got to keep going with this. This is feeding my soul. Yes. Uh, thank you for that question. West African dance in particular, as I reflect on it as an adult, has been a part of my life journey and my transformation. So I started taking West African dance class in elementary school. I was six years old. It was an African it was an after school program and they put on those drums mm, and they started yes. teaching that choreography. Yes. And I started swaying my six year old hips and I wasn't considered fast yes. or grown. I was in my element mm. and I felt something mm-hmm. at six years old. And as I had gotten older um, in middle school and high school, I went to a performing arts high school or I was in the performing arts academy at my high school. I danced with um, different dance companies and I was in dance production. And as I had, you know, my middle school and my high school years, I had been exposed to different dance forms. So jazz of the sort of black tradition, modern, tap, all these different things. And I thought I would go on and become a professional dancer. So I went to Mount Holyoke College and that was a pivotal moment in my life where I left my community in Oakland, California. Oakland is one of the most culturally diverse places in the United States. So I was used to being not only within the black community, but I was used to being exposed to people from all over the world. So Mm -hmm. when I went to Mount Holyoke College to a predominantly white context for the first time, I had this experience of being racialized. I didn't, I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what it meant to be tokenized or the only or what microaggressions were or people asking you these really specific questions about your culture as if you're like from some other world. Right. So right. I, in this new environment, I had to redefine myself. I had to anchor myself. I had to ground myself. And I actually wasn't enrolled in the West African dance class. Some roommates on my floor were in the class and they would all come back and talk about how fun it was and what they did in class. And then one day, one of my um, friends said, well, you know what? Maryland State Coup is having auditions for the fall um, dance show. Mm-hmm. And I showed up to the audition with my afro mm-hmm. and she didn't even know who I was. And, you know, I had dance experience. So she um, allowed me to be included in, in the dance group for that show. And that 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 changed my whole um, perspective. She didn't even know my name. She just called me afro for a whole semester. <laughs> and she she went on to mentor me and I continued to dance with her throughout my time at Mount Holyoke. But what happened was once I shifted to a predominantly white context, 
I needed something that would help me to get grounded mm. and be able to deal with um, all of these experiences that I was having, being a black woman from a working class background from Oakland, California, now planted in South Hadley, Massachusetts. And that experience empowered me. Mm. I was empowered through my body. I was understanding culture. I was being mentored. So there were a lot of layers which pointed me back to West African dance. Like I told you, I studied different art forms, but it was in that context that I started to like intuitively make a commitment. Like this is more than dance. Right. It's, it's a spiritual practice. This is my therapy. This is an intervention. I don't know how I'm going to make it in this place where I feel culturally deprived without it. You know what? You just said a mouthful right there for, for, for those of us who need exactly what you're just talking about. Like, this is my spiritual experience. This is my therapy. This is my, really, this is my everything. And I think that it speaks to the importance of, of this work. And in truth, even when you started out, just when you said the beat of the drums, I, I, right. Yes, there, I saw you. You, you almost bust the move look, there. I saw you. This is exactly right. I don't even hear the drums, right? But I can, I'm experiencing it in my body. And so for those yes. people who've never experienced the beat of the drums, you miss Ooh. it now. Because Come on now. Tell you, when Truth taught us our workshop. D don't get started. Don't get started. started. And I almost got lost, you know. And I, I saw like, you. Look, Truth, yes. I'm Presbyterian and you know, we, we, we try to keep. Yeah, so you're conservative. Drums, yeah. Whenever I hear drums, that's when taking us to a different level. So talk to Ooh. me a little bit then, Truth. Come on. Because you're saying it's your therapy. You're saying it's your... Talk to me about what the drums do for the yes. soul a little bit. Yes. Thank you so much. What makes um, not only West African dance, but you will also see this throughout um, the continent of Africa and the African diaspora, is that the dance is married to the music. Mm, talk about it. Right. So it's not... Yes, we have free expression in African rooted dance forms, but what makes it unique, special and distinct is that there's a rhythm for every dance. Mm. And then when you dance, you're in this beautiful interconnected relationship with the drummer. You don't just go out there and just do your own thing. That's you, right. That's you, right. You, it teaches you to be in tune with the rhythm because your drummer tells you what to do next. Mm, and so you're you follow the lead. Yes. And your drummer is counting on you to be in sync with the movement. So when you're off as a dancer, the drummer is constantly making adjustments mm. to you. Mm. So it's this beautiful marriage, mm. you know, um, between the dancer and the drummer, just to kind of break down yeah, some of those it, it, it community, actually, right? Yes, yes. And the deeper level, the deeper message, the deeper wisdom is interconnectedness, interdependence, yes. you know, and and, 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 and and that's what I love about this art form is because I'm dancing, 
but I'm being exposed to African rooted worldviews that I don't typically have access That's to, right. but I don't know that I'm accessing it. Right. You right. Know, so, so what you're saying though, is that your interconnection is with the drummer, but then at a deeper level, your interconnectedness is with your ancestors. And Absolutely. Yes. And yes. what they experienced. Yes. Thank, thank, thank you for, for taking it there. And back to what you were saying, you said, share a little bit about the drumming. The drumming is so powerful that the drums were banned when during the period of enslavement. That's right. That's right. That's that right. the drumming was so, of course, we came up with other ways to reinvent. That's right. That. That's right. Because right. But that's how we communicate it, with each other. Okay. But that's how powerful it is. Yeah. So I wanted you to yeah. just to say that that's how we communicate. Because like when you're drumming, you can have a whole conversation in, with the drums that yes. folk who are not familiar with it don't even know what you're saying. A absolutely. Mm. So once again, within many, one thing I want to establish is that the continent of Africa is not a monolith. So with, with whatever I'm sharing today, but there are some similarities and overlaps that I'm going to also speak to. So I'm trying to hold those two things together. Some of these similarities that I want to share is that um, are these rich oral traditions. Music and dance is an oral tradition. And that's how we pass on our values, our principles, what matters to us. And we do that through the drumming. We do that through dance. We do it through storytelling. It's a package. So actually, when we're talking about African dance, we're not just talking about dance. We're talking about all of those various elements. We're talking about music, storytelling, spoken word, because oral traditions are so key to passing down our history from one generation to another. Yes. It looks like we might have disconnected for a second. Okay, there you go. I guess it was okay. me. I, I thought, so I apologize for that technical difficulty. No problem. I probably missed a bit of what you were saying. I hope our, our audience was able to catch it because um, what I last heard you talking about is really the drums and our ability yes. to communicate and, right. and why it was taken from us during the enslavement period was because absolutely there were there were some anomalies like for example in new orleans the the story of the congo square where um enslaved african people on sundays because louisiana at one point was colonized by the french so mm -hmm. their um manifestation of enslavement was a little bit different in which we would gather and we would have our drums and we would have our music, you know? Mm -hmm. So that, I mean, that even speaks to why New Orleans is the birthplace of jazz, you know, because right. that was the area where we were able to continue to hone our, 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 um, not only our oral histories, but our African aesthetics and sensibilities. And, and once this knowledge and artistic expression begins to generate and be passed on for generations to generations, what 
comes out of that. It's like a whole new genre. <laughs> like, well, so, so here's what's interesting. Yes. And here's what I really want. Uh, one of the things I want us to understand. So we've had this negative connotation of Africa, mm-hmm. but it shows our power that we were so powerful that every single thing was stripped from us, our communication and everything, because white folks who enslaved us and even other folks who enslaved Mm -hmm. us understood that power. And so I would love for us to be in this place as we're talking about, um, you know, dismantling racism is to get rid of some of those old narratives that we have and to Mm -hmm. be able to embrace our culture in healthy ways. So I know we have to take a break. And when we come back, Truth, I want to talk, we are getting comments from people uh, on YouTube. And and even there's a question how you ended up at Mount Holyoke uh, (laughs) coming from a place like Oakland. And so I want to be able to talk about that. But when we return from the break, I I also want to talk about 2007, your activism, how you used dance, yes. um, you know, in terms of becoming an activist and also about the work that you're currently doing. We'll probably have to keep that for the next segment, but we will be right back to continue our conversation with Truth Hunter. Keep the comments coming to us. We'll be right back. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. We're back with my guest today, Truth Hunter. We were having a lively conversation there around West African dance and the drums. And we're getting a lot of comments about the drums because those who know, they know the the impact. But real quick, Truth, before we ask about, uh, we'll go into your experience with um, the Darfur uh, activism that you did. What brought you from a place so culturally diverse as Oakland to a place like Mount Holyoke? Well, 
in order for me to tell you the story, I have to talk about my faith. And, and I love that's, that's what this, the, this show is all about. So I came from a low income, you know, black household in Oakland, California. Um, and first gen, first in my family to go to a four year institution, particularly on my mother's side of the family. So a lot, I, I, I had a love for learning and I, like I shared before, I was in the performing arts academy. I knew I wanted to be a dancer, but I had all of these, just this, this, this love for learning, all, all types of, of, of disciplines, academic disciplines. So my counselor picked up on that. And for some reason, I think Mount Holyoke was doing some type of urban outreach that year. And um, my counselor came to me in my class and said, would you be interested in an all women's school, all women's liberal arts school on the East Coast? And I was like, what? Like, how did you know <laughs> that is so specific? And what ended up happening was Mount Holyoke sent my counselor first to check out the school. Mm-hmm. My counselor went to check out the school. She came back to me and she goes, oh my goodness there's nothing but serious women there you're a serious woman you need to be there so she gets so excited and i get you know um they provide for me to go and check out the institution and um there was a beautiful orientation led by women of color mostly black women so instantly i saw myself there through their points of view yes so Mm -hmm. um and the reason why this is a testament to my faith is because at the time Mount Holyoke was fifty thousand dollars a year. I'm pretty sure it's a lot more now. Probably um, right, right. There was there was no college fund. <laughs> there yeah. was just a black girl from Oakland with a dream to to have a um, a high quality education, and mm. um, and God put those pieces together in ways that I could never do. So but you know what, Truth, mm-hmm. I actually, I, I, as we're talking, we're going to have you back to kind of talk. There, that's a whole nother. Yes, yes, yes. Because in the work that you've done at Connecticut College, um, I really would love to have you to come back um, to talk about first gen yes, students. And, absolutely. And because there's a there's a lot for us to talk about with what makes it su- students successful. It's not just absolutely. the money. And even as you're talking about that. I just saw during the commercial break about the Supreme Court's decision to get rid of race-based admissions mm. uh, at UNC. Wow. So it has some some big implications. So we're going to have you absolutely back yes, yes, well. De- definitely. Um, but 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 let's go now to because I want to honor our space with West Africa. Yes, absolutely. So talk about your what you did in two thousand seven. Yeah, and yeah. Today. Thank you, thank you for that. This is also an opportunity to um, give thanks and honor to the mentors who helped me to find this path. So when I got to Mount Holyoke in a predominantly white environment, the only aspect of the dance program I connected with was West African dance. So I wasn't really developed by the dance program as a whole. I decided to study critical social thought with an emphasis in post-colonial studies and the and we all had to come up with a thematic question, a big question that we would answer over the course of our four years. And my question was, how has the historical processes of enslavement, enslavement and colonialism 
shaped the way that people of African descent reinvent themselves in the face mm -hmm. of these types of oppression. I had been working through that question. And, um, and one year there was an opportunity to, um, to choreograph for our Black History Month showcase. And because I told you I grew up in Oakland and um, some of my mentors in the dance programs that I were a part of um, was under um, a black dance company called um, Dimensions. And mm -hmm. whenever they would have um, productions, it would always be about the African diaspora, our narratives, our history. So what I didn't realize is that when I was in middle school and high school, I was being downloaded with this That's really right. specific embodied knowledge that just naturally came out when I was in college. Right. So when I performed this piece, it depicted the middle passage. Like the first half was about like um, the horrors of the middle passage. And then the second half of the dance was like a dance of empowerment. The president mm. had came, my advisors had, I didn't think anything of it because that's just what I was doing before I got to Mount Holyoke. And they had never seen anything like that before. The mm. president emailed me, I had the email for years. I hope I can find it. She said, that was the most exquisite thing I've ever seen. She had yeah. never seen our story told mm. in that type of way. And when my advisor came at the time, um, Joan Cox, I want to give her a shout out, um, <laughs> but um, she just said that sold a seed in her. So by the time I was a senior, I was trying to write a thesis. It wasn't going in the right direction. She kept saying, truth, you need to dance it. I just feel like you need to, you need to. Yes. And I just, I, I wanted this idea of what it meant to be smart and academic and I could do. So for a semester, mm -hmm. I tortured myself with trying to fit into this box. And well, then, so I just want to pause just yes, for a second, yes, because what you were doing is that you were trying to feed into the very structure that you absolutely were because here's the thing what you're saying during this show is the part of dismantling racism is honoring who you are, who you are, your authenticity, and there's yes. a way of showing our brilliance and our intelligence that is not based on white supremacy. Because that, white supremacy says yes. we have to do it this way. And that's Absolutely. what you said. I need to do it this academic way. And truth, you're smart. There's no doubt about that. You're academic. There's no doubt about that. Because you're working on your PhD now. But the, but the brilliance of what you're doing is tying in who we are as a people to say, we were already intelligent before we were brought over here. And that's so right. now we're just showing you a little bit. We're showing you a little bit of who we right. are. So that's what I think is beautiful. And the other thing is true. I don't want people to miss this. You were doing this as someone who was what, 19, 20, 21, yes. Year old, yes. 21 years old. So yes. that shows the brilliance of young people. Yes. And I just want people to get that because sometimes we don't pay attention to what our young folks were doing. But look at the lives you impacted by yes. your work student. But now continue because I know I just yes. did. Yes. So, so my advisor white woman of Jewish descent. She was the one she kept saying, you got to dance it out. You got to dance it out. I didn't quite know what that was going to look like, but I had experience choreographing and things like that. And at the time, specifically genocide in Darfur was unfolding and mm -hmm. I was following it. I was going to a lot of activism talks and I bought this CD, which was um, various artists amazing artists across Africa 
speaking to those issues. The CD was beautiful. And it was during my winter break before I would complete my last semester. And I said, I want to do this as dance. And I went back in a nutshell, got a committee together. We went out, contacted so many artists in the Northeast that our vision is to put on um, a fundraising um, concert yeah. showcase yeah. in yeah. which we would um, honor and celebrate. We were like, we are not doing a pity party here. We are honoring and celebrating the resilience mm. and we're in solidarity with mm. the people of Sudan. Yeah. So that was the the intention behind it. So it, it became it, it was beautiful. You know, at the time, it was really big for me. It was five thousand dollars we raised just based upon tickets. And it was at the end of my senior year. And that's when I knew mm. that this dance form could change the world. I was convinced I was like somehow, some way yeah. I'm going to find my profession, my path and my purpose is going to be bridging together activism and dance and speaking to this history of colonialism, what it means to decolonize. I didn't know the how. I know the how now almost 20 years later, but I yeah. did not know. At that but time. That's, that's, so that's why we have to stay with the vision, though, because yes. sometimes vision doesn't unfold until later. And that's why it's a journey of faith yes. to do this, right? And truth, all along the path, though, you've absolutely been doing it, even um, as a director of uh, a private college in Connecticut, you were still finding ways to infuse dance into what you were doing even while you were breaking down barriers, right? So what I hear you also saying is like, it's not an either or, it's a both and. Now, That's true, right. we're going to have to take a break in just, just a minute. But when we come back, I want you to share with my audience what you're doing now as you're working on your PhD, how your body of work is helping to uh, change the narrative of West African dance, change the narrative of our contributions, and how that's really helping to, to chip away at our own uh, image of who we are and the world's image of who we are. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to hear you um, just, just give us a little bit more insight. We'll be right back with the Dismantle Racism Show. My guest today is Truth Hunter. What really drives success in business? Introducing Intangify, the show that explores the intangible assets that create value and growth. I'm Matthew Asbell, your host and an attorney focused on innovation. Join me Fridays at noon Eastern to discover how innovation, culture, and other intangibles shape thriving companies from startups to established businesses. We'll share strategies to unleash your business's true potential. Tune in live on talkradio.nyc Fridays at noon Eastern and Intangify your business today. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? 
I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. We're back with my guest today, Truth Hunter. Uh, Truth, tell us what you're doing as you're working on on your dissertation. uh, Yes, I would be delighted to share more with you about it. And many of the things that you shared when you were setting the context is really the heart and the impetus behind my work. And you were Mm -hmm. speaking to these narratives, these dominant narratives, um, we, we often, um, call them the master narratives, right? And within the structure of colonialism, it's not just simply exploitation, right? But it's also the ability to control the narrative in terms of how groups of people are seen in the world. And Mm -hmm. one narrative that I seek to disrupt through my work is this idea that came that was birthed out of colonialism that was fueled by colonialism is that somehow Africa didn't make notable contributions to the world mm. like out of all groups right. somehow we managed right. to not make contributions to the world right. and in this narrative right is in service of white supremacy, right? In order to uplift white supremacy, then there has to be a narrative around a deficiency or an inferiority uh, of of a group. So Mm -hmm. what West African dance has taught me is that it, it teaches me about the ways that we have managed to continue the legacy of our history and our culture through Mm. dance, Mm. right? So even though we faced enslavement, we faced colonialism and our language, our cultures, our families were broken as a result of these horrific historical processes. Mm. The common denominator, right? Is that we continue to hold on to these embodied sensibilities. That's right. In the midst of really, and, and I, I never want to underestimate the level of oppression that we've experienced over generations, right? Mm-hmm. But somehow we've managed to create and recreate, and we see it through these embodied elements, through dance, mm-hmm. through music, through spoken word, mm-hmm. through these particular things. So that speaks back to this narrative that we are a people without roots. So, so Truth, I need you to just break this down a little, sure. little bit. So what is the value of these embodied experiences? What does that do for us to yes. help dismantle yes. 
racism. Absolutely. Because because here's another narrative that's been out there is that all we can do is dance and sing and play Mm -hmm. sports. So, but you're saying something much more. um, Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I've been um, very vocal about speaking to that, that, that negative attitude behind only what black people can do is dance and play sports and, and, and music. First of all, let's establish that all of those things are art forms that take mastery. So because we've mastered it so well, it looks easy to other people. But like anything, like playing a beautiful piece of classical music, you labor over it. And Mm. even though when Black people may perform in, in any way, if it's dance or if it's music, practice, sacrifice, Mm. labor has gone into it. Of Mm. of course, there's sort of um, a cultural advantage if you grew up in the midst of some of these things. But I never want to underestimate that our amazing athletes and our dancers and our musicians, we're not amazing just because we're Black. We're amazing because we had discipline and we focused and there was a passion and there was an environment that cultivated that. And now it looks easy. Right. Like any, any form Mm. honed it. Right. And we need to honor that because I feel like that's some anti-black racism right there. Oh, of course you can do that because Mm. you're black. No, I was out there running these laps every day in track and I mastered it through discipline and time and effort. And through that process, that is an embodied intelligence. That's right. But in our, in the way that we value intelligence, we think anything neck down is not intellectual. We've inherited that idea from Western culture through Mm. Eurocentrism, which Mm. values the mind over the body. But when we look at African paradigms, it's always the harmony between Mm. the mind and the body. And we know that intuitively, that's why we have a tendency to excel at these embodied forms of things, not just because we're black, it's because it's grounded in our epistemology, this mind-body connection. So I can say a lot more about that, but... But but you are you preached it you preached yeah. it already and I know that when when you were saying earlier even these um, the this whole mind body experience but we cannot undervalue how much you as a dancer have to pay attention to what the drummer is saying yes. and doesn't come overnight you have to feel that music you have to be into it and like you said master the technique that's why right. I can't do it. It's it's, it's mastery. And also these things that we assume just come so easily for black people. Like, for example, I've learned this from my dance teacher who I honor and love. His name is Tacho Ali. He, you know, he um, teaches a lot out of New Haven. And he explains like the way that he learned dance was just through absorbing it over years and years until it is embodied, you Mm. know, through the practice, the mastery of it. And Mm. it's not, once again, you know, when we hear those drums, we get excited. And granted, I do too, but there's an intelligence behind it. There's Mm. a divine order behind all of those things that we're doing. Mm. And that is what I hope to bring to light through my research, right? Right. Because oftentimes when Black people or people of African descent do something amazing, 
oh, you know, it's fun and it's freeing. It's as if there's no intelligence and order behind it. Right. But truth, I, I know we only have a few more minutes and there's so much more that we were going to talk about. But there's one thing, though, that I really want you to talk about just really quickly, if you can. When we had our pre-discussion, you were talking about there's a dance for every celebration. Yes. Can you speak about that a little bit more? Yeah, I, I want to often a lot of um uh, scholars on um, African dance and African diaspora dance speak to this, but I'll give a shout out to Pearl Premise in particular because that's the work that I've been drawing from. Um, who you know is a renowned dancer, choreographer, and anthropologist. Um, uh, you know has roots in Trinidad, grew up in in America, studied in Liberia, and what the conclusion that she came to doing all of her African diaspora explorations through dance is that dance is life. Yes. She discovered as a dancer that, wow, there's a dance for every life event. Mm. So dance has a different meaning that it has in the Western context. So in the Western context, dance is often seen as two extremes. So on one extreme, it's usually seen as recreational. You're just having fun. You're out with your friends. And that's great, you know, right? It's recreational. And then you go to the other side of the spectrum where dance is elitist, mm. where dance classes are expensive to take ballet and modern, when there's a certain body type that's required, um, mm. where it takes money to go and watch these ballets, right? So we live in a society where... It's very extreme. But what I've learned about African dance through an African worldview is that there's a middle ground yeah. and that dance is life. If you're paying attention to life, you will see all of life is a dance because yeah. all of life has a rhythm, a time and a season for everything. Right. And I love I know we don't have time for another question, but I do love um, the fact that when we were talking. You, you know, we talked about when babies are in the womb, yes. they're already hearing the drums. Yes. They're, they're yes. To, to hearing those drums, right? Yes. So, uh, Truth, I just want to thank you so much. There's there are so many more questions that I have for you. I'm looking forward again to you coming back on the show. But I wonder, Truth, if you could tell people how they can get in touch with you and then after you tell us that, if you could offer us a blessing, I would really appreciate it. Sure, sure. I'm, I'm kind of old school, y'all. I do email. So I'm truthhunter1028 at gmail.com. And in terms of a blessing, a blessing I would like to offer everyone is that your body is a miracle. Mm. You cannot dislike or hate your body while dancing. Like when you're really dancing, when you're really in the moment, it is the greatest act of worship. It is the greatest way to say thank you for this life, for this body, for this time and space. So my blessing to you is to move your body. It could be dance, it can be something else, but move your body because when you move your body, you are subconsciously telling yourself, right? That mm. I'm alive, that mm. I'm more than my mind, that mm. I'm a whole person. Yes, amen and ashe. <laughs> 
Ashe. Well, I want to thank you so much, Truth, for being my guest today. It was a delight to talk to you. I want to thank you, my listeners. I want to thank those of you who were commenting on YouTube, those who were sending me uh, text messages. Even sometimes it was just a hand clap. We really appreciate your feedback. Please stay tuned for the Conscious Consultant Hour with Sam Leibowitz, where he helps you to walk through life with the greatest of ease and joy. Be well, be safe, be encouraged. Until next time. Bye for now. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. What really drives success in business? Introducing Intangify, the show that explores the intangible assets that create value and growth. I'm Matthew Asbell, your host and an attorney focused on innovation. Join me Fridays at noon Eastern to discover how innovation, culture, and other intangibles shape driving companies from startups to established businesses. We'll share strategies to unleash your business's true potential. Tune in live on talkradio.nyc Fridays at noon Eastern and Intangify your business today. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your conscious consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower.